Jesus, undeniably the most influential person who has ever lived. More songs have been sung to him, more artwork has been done of him, more books have been written about him than anyone else that's ever lived. In fact, uh, a historian called James A. Francis put it like this. He said, all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as much as Jesus Christ. And so when Christians gather together, a lot of what we celebrate Jesus is his divinity, right? the, the God part. And, and that's understandable. That's the bit that sets him apart from us. You think about his audacious claims or his spiritual insights or those miraculous powers that he had. That proves that he was fully divine, that he was God in the flesh. But Jesus was also fully human. And as I read the record of his life, what he said and what he did reveals true humanity. Jesus was just like us. He knew what it was to hunger and to thirst, to to love, to feel pain, to know joy, to know suffering. But what's different about Jesus is that he demonstrated those human characteristics, the potential in, in full measure, the characteristics that we were created to have, the life that we were called to live. He shows us what that was like. So I'm just going to do a little uh, experiment here this morning. Very simple. I've got my trusty whiteboard, downsized. Um, don't take that, you know, there's nothing against you guys for that. I just just uh, didn't want to get a massive one on stage. Okay, here's my whiteboard. And what I'm going to ask you, invite you to do is call out some of the characteristics that you recognize Jesus as having. Faithfulness. Thanks. Faithfulness. Okay. Any others? Love. Love. Nice. Peace. Okay. It's good. Patience. Okay. We're just going through the fruits of the Spirit, are we? That's good. No, that's good. That's cool. Humility. Nice. Thanks. Okay. Right. Forgiveness. Oh, that is on the side because it's... Looks cool. Someone else said something after the forgiveness. Servant. Servant. Okay. Integrity. Pardon? Truth. Truth. Nice. I like that one. Okay, we'll do two more. Trust and compassion. Okay, that's what I heard. I could be wrong, but tell me if I got them right. Giving. Giving. Okay. Radio. We could actually do this for a long time, which is quite cool. But I just want you to see very carefully, if you could even read that handwriting, (laughs) is that Jesus demonstrates a lot of characteristics to their full measure. And and I think over the next four weeks, what we're going to be doing is unpacking some of these and, and looking at the characteristics of Jesus and really how not only does he inspire us as the perfect example of of the fullness of those characteristics, but actually empowers us, encourages us, and enhances and expands these characteristics in our own lives. And so this morning, what we're going to do is look at one which you haven't actually picked, but that's okay, because there's plenty more. One characteristic which Jesus demonstrated, which is encouragement. And so I've done the hard work for you. I went to the dictionary. I looked up the word encourage, okay? And you probably know what it means. It's not rocket science. It means to support or to strengthen. Uh, You could do this through our words. 
by maybe praising or pledging someone to give them confidence, or through our actions, how we help people, how we assist them, that sort of stuff. But this is, this is what I want you to get, that literally the word encouragement mean, means to give courage, to help someone out. And what you'll notice if you go to the dictionary is that it's actually encouraging is actually a verb. It's an action word. It's something that people do. Encouraging is an action that we take. And I think that being encouraging people is pretty important because our world is quite discouraging. I can, life in the 21st century is pretty, pretty, pretty tough, right? You think about the things that are kind of pressing down on us, the rising cost of living, economic crisis, uh, political uncertainty, inequality, injustice, social disruption, climate change. That's just New Zealand. <laughs> the world has way, way bigger problems than that, so many bigger issues. And so I think sometimes when we read the headlines, <clears throat> it can be, can be quite discouraging. And I think what's worse is that sometimes Christians are often known to add to that discouragement. You know, Christians sometimes are seen as, as being very critical and complaining about society when, when society does something that we think is wrong. Now, please hear me. I think it's important that there are moral and ethical standards. But I think Christians would probably have a better response if we had a more positive attitude to what was happening, to celebrate the good that was happening and, and be willing to, to roll up our sleeves and help give courage to people in tough situations. And so, honestly, I need to say that I feel honoured to be part of this church because that is what we are increasingly known for, is helping people where we can, being encouraging. Now, we are Far from perfect, okay? I'm not saying that we are perfect people, least of all me. But we are trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We're trying to encourage others. And so this morning, very simply, I just want to share with you an example of where Jesus encouraged someone. You'll find it uh, in the Bible, John chapter 9. So if you've got one, you're welcome to open up or, or turn there or whatever, swipe there. I'm going to um, read it to you in a minute. But I just thought I'd give you some background info um, just to kind of set the scene while you find John chapter 9. Jesus has been traveling and teaching for a couple of years. And he's really impressed the crowds with the miracles that he has performed. But it's a bit tricky because Jesus is not trying to be uh, a magician who sort of amazes people. The whole point of the miracles was to demonstrate the power of God at work, the, the willingness of God to improve a situation. And so John chapter 9 records the perfect opportunity for this. Jesus and his disciples meet a man who has been blind from birth. So let's pick up the story starting at uh, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Then he, that's Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Like, this just crazy situation, right? Amazing. Man, blind from birth, miraculously healed by Jesus. Jesus makes some sort of mud pack, 
which had his own spit in it. I mean, and he slaps the mud pack on the guy's eyes and the guy washes it off in the public pool and he can see. He can see. Now, you think about this. This must have been hugely encouraging for this guy. From, from total, complete blindness, he now has full 20-20 vision, right? Absolutely incredible. You may or may not know this, but I have been wearing glasses since I was eight years old. And um, I remember the first time I stepped out of the optometrist with my new glasses on, and I just, I just could not believe it. It was a whole new world. I remember saying, wow, I can see the leaves on the trees. And my mum, who was there, was like, how bad have your eyes been, you know? <laughs> but this man can see so much more than the leaves. He can see the whole tree. Uh, he can see clouds, mountains, buildings, faces, colors, light, shade. It must have been just a sensory overload for this guy. And so in this massive moment of celebration, this unbelievably exciting, encouraging experience, the story shifts sideways. And after this transformative miracle, the people who knew the man start to doubt that it was really him. So look at what happens next. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. How discouraging is that? You know, you've just had this complete turnaround of your life, and then the cynics and the critics, they doubt that it's actually him. His identity, his story is questioned, and the guy's like, yes, yes, it is me. So apparently this personal testimony of this guy was not good enough for the doubters. He gets marched off to the religious authorities. You can read it later, but we're going to skip a wee bit. But this is where it gets serious. Because the religious leaders, they start to question this guy's story. And they end up being divided as to why and how Jesus would perform a miracle, especially when it was alleged he was working on the Sabbath, which was, which was breaking the religious laws. And so the religious leaders start pumping this ex-blind man full of questions, and he gives them some simple answers, and they just don't satisfy uh, what the religious guys want. This is what we read. Oh, they, they asked him, who healed you? What happened? Uh, he, he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So the parents get dragged into this situation, and they confirm his identity, but they're unwilling to testify that this miraculous, um, this miracle has happened and he's gained his sight, so they push it back to his son. Well, I don't know if they push it back to his son, they kind of throw him under the bus, Right? And so this is what happens next. So for the second time, the religious leaders called in the man who had been blind and told him, we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? 
know how frustrating this would be for this ex-blind man. I mean, the truth of the story is constantly being questioned by his neighbors, by his friends, by his parents, by the religious leaders. It must have been so discouraging. Like Hours after a life-changing moment, everybody is getting down on him. And so what happens next is the man gives the religious leaders a bit of a lesson. He points out that Jesus was obviously sent from God because the miracles were proof of his divinity. And this is just way too much for the religious leaders. They're actually too arrogant to be schooled by a beggar. And so according to verse 28, they curse him. And then verse 34, they throw him out of the synagogue. Now, I just need to clarify, this is not just him being tossed out onto the street here, saying, you know, watch out for the door on the way out. This is likely that this man was fully cut off from the Jewish community. So our word would be excommunicated. He was isolated and ignored by his fellow Jews. He was actually considered a disgrace. If someone was kicked out of the synagogue, people were not allowed to come within six feet of them. They were to be shunned by that society. So you put yourself in the beggar's shoes. What a day, right? Like, talk about an emotional roller coaster. Your sight gets restored for the first time ever you can see. And then the validity of your story is criticized and questioned. And then ultimately you get kicked out, probably of the only community that you have ever known. So this, this ex-blind man is now in the lowest of the lows, discouraged by the doubters and the detractors. And then Jesus turns up. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man asked, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. You just think about that. Jesus actively sought out this man. He went looking for him, and he found him. And Jesus knew that what he needed was encouragement. He said the right things at the right moment, which cut through that criticism and lifted the man up. He helped him realize that Jesus truly was the Son of Man, the, the Son of God. And no matter what the doubters and the detractors said, that Jesus was there for this former blind man. You know, that's really what encouragement is. Finding people who are fading, who are failing, and literally giving them courage, giving them confidence that God is in the midst of what they're facing and we are also tracking alongside them. Now, you are very great people, okay? Just, just take that for a moment. That's a compliment. I'm encouraging you. You are great people. And you probably believe in miracles, right? But most of us are unlikely to go around giving sight to people who have been physically blind. I mean, it's, it's uncommon. It's extraordinary. Cool if it happens, but unusual for everyday life. But all of us can find people who need support, who need strength. All of us can say the things and do the things that will encourage someone when they're doing life tough. And so... It's my pleasure to interview a couple of people this morning who actually are doing that. 
The names are Rochelle and Gordon. You can welcome them um, up to the stage. Come on up. Yes. All right. All right, so we've got Gordon here and um, Rochelle, if you haven't met them before. Now, I just want to make something pretty clear, that I'm not presenting Gordon and Rochelle as, as expert encouragers, okay? They're not 100% happy all the time. They're not always, like, you know, the most, world's most positive people, always confident, always encouraging, always doing everything. You know, you've probably just got to ask their families, right? But, yeah, yeah. But, but, but... They are, they are regular people like the rest of us, trying to live and love like Jesus. But I think they still offer us some insights of everyday life and what that looks like and how encouraging people is really helpful, even though they're not perfect, even though they're just trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, trusting him to open up opportunities. So that's, that's why they're here for, and I'm, I'm going to kind of ask them a few questions. We'll start with you, Gordon. Why don't you tell us, I don't know, briefly a little bit about yourself, background, who are you, what do you do? Well, you know, I'm Gordon. Um, <laughs> 45 years, one week, and 19 years ago, uh, we started, I started a countdown, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, when I married my dear wife, Hilary. Unfortunately, uh, Hillary has other priorities on Sunday mornings nowadays, but um, she is still my dear wife. She is. We have three adult married children and eight grandchildren. But even more fortunate, they now all reside between Dunedin, Mosgiel and Middlemarch. So it's not too big an issue to go and catch up with them all. And it takes a bit of keeping up with them all and their busy lives and all the activities that they are up to. How much more, Craig? Because I could go on for a while. Well, <laughs> I'm sure you could. And, you know, you've lived quite a broad range. Do you have work or interests? I was born uh, in Gore, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> and I've... I lived on a farm, which I eventually started farming on my own account about 1975, and our children were all born in Gore, but in 1987 we changed farms and moved to Middlemarch. We went from a small, more intensive farm of 240-odd hectares up to 3,000 hectares, and in stock terms, from 3,000 stock units to 10. So that was my new challenge um, after I had thought I had achieved what I wanted to on my farm that I'd grown up on. So in 19... Sorry... 2012, it became clear that I had a son who was keen to go farming. So my encouraging gesture to him was to move out of his way and let him spread his wings and express his own um, keenness and willingness to farm in his own account. So that's when we moved to Alexandra. The first thing I had to do when I came to Alexandra was find something to do, which was actually 
decided before I got here and I worked on the rail trail, which was fine and I enjoyed it. Meeting people, servicing bikes, shifting bags. But it became a bit slack in the winter time and I needed more activity. So I answered a, a, an advert for a tractor driver at an orchard and I thought I could just about handle that. It would suit someone part time and that was the biggest joke because I always found something to do. I know I was often, it was suggested to me at work once or twice, what are you still doing here? And I said, well, it's wet, but that's when the spoutings need cleaned. Well, you notice that they need cleaned. Um, I guess it was a reflection on the type of life I'd had. You always found something to do. But when I got into my 70s, I decided to face reality. So I have since become fully retired, so to speak because I, my days are filled with all sorts of activities from a little bit of golf, a little bit of wood cutting for the Salvation Army, a um, bit of tramping, and yes, there's always things on. And when I rang you this week, you were on top of the rock and pillar range fixing a hut up, so <laughs> you don't really sound like you're super retired in that regard. And I've got to get this interview over and get a few things organised and get back up there tomorrow after <laughs> I've picked up a few more supplies at Pacemakers. <laughs> awesome. Rochelle, tell us a wee bit about your background. Um, well, I'm married to Greg, and um, we have uh, one son and five daughters. Um, I grew up in Southland, um, and I actually trained as a hairdresser and then as a vet technician, and now I'm trying to train up to be a lab technician. Um, and my interests are I have sheep, dorper sheep, as probably everyone knows here, um, and that keeps me um, sane. <laughs> I thought you'd be quite pleased to know I've actually got um, some new socks which oh, have sheep on them. Very cool. See? Yes, yes. I put them on specifically oh, today. You. I feel special. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've been talking a wee bit about the importance of encouraging others um, and just very, very simple terms. Like, How do you try to encourage other people, Gordon? You've hinted at uh, quite a significant encouragement, stepping aside for your son to take over the farm, but that's a big one. Do you do encouraging people in simple ways? I seem to have an interest... Well, I do take a big interest in young people especially, and I, I think I, I enjoy talking to them and asking them what their ambitions are, and, uh, and, and especially those who are heading in, uh, you know, as in teenage years when they're trying to decide what they want to do. I think one of the greatest gifts God gave us is a pair of ears, listen listen to people and if if the opportunity arise make comment or perhaps give advice but don't plan anybody's life for them they've got to do that just give them encouragement and uh, for them to express themselves in the way they see fit i like that gordon that's good about the ears rochelle how do you encourage people um, well, when I take the youth group, well, an incident was last week when we were playing a game and it was against, uh, there was two people. And one of the people, they were, one of the things was they had to throw a, a hoop over this a cone. And one, of course, the other team member was waiting. And one of them came out and she was like, go, 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 hurry up, hurry up. And I said, how about encouraging words, I said to her, because, you know, there's nothing worse than when you're trying to throw a, a hoop over. And so the young lady, she actually started encouraging her teammate. Um, 
So, yeah, I think it's just uh, really important to encourage people, as you said. Um, Gordon said most of it. Um, and it's good practice to look for the good for, in people. Like, you know, if, if people are trying to, um, you know, they're trying to um, change or something, is to encourage them in, like, they might have, you might see a little step that they've done. So it's really good for that, I think. It's really good to encourage them that. Um, I have one other thing. I'm just going to look at my notes. Because you have to have notes, don't you, Gordon? <laughs> um, you don't rely on them all day. No, no, I don't. Um, and I think it's really good um, when you encourage people, they actually might recognise themselves maybe qualities they didn't see. Mm. So, yeah, so I think that's really Sometimes good. an outside perspective yeah. can really kind of bring a new freshness. Yeah. Do you find encouraging people easy or hard? Like, is it naturally something that comes to you or do you actually really have to consciously try and do it? Well, I, with having children, I think you ha they have probably told you that it's really important. Like when you've had children, they, they actually help you to be more encouraging because you can see in their little faces if you do discouraging, like or they tell you as they get teenagers, Mum, you shouldn't have said that to me. So I think it's um, something you learn. It's probably something I've definitely learned, and, be and becoming a Christian has definitely helped me because before that, yeah, that's definitely with, with God and us, and that, you know, we can, it helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gordon, easy for you or something you've got to... Yes, I think it's easy. You've just got to look for the opportunities and think about it a little bit and it, it should just flow. So let's, you talked about some sort of examples of the ways you try and encourage people. Very simply, how have you seen people respond to those? I mean, have people gone, oh, actually, that is quite encouraging or have they just sort of fobbed it off and, and moved on and left you kind of hanging. Rochelle, how would you answer that? Um, I think sometimes you have to pick your moment. Mm -hmm. um, I have one time I tried to encourage my friend, she was getting in a bit of depression, and she said, would you just stop being so positive? So I think you have <sighs> to, and isn't it that, that, that verse in the Bible about sometimes you have to, um, that um, if someone's going through something, you know, just be the ears and mate as you don't plan them. Um, it, it, you have to pick your moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, Gordon, people responded to your encouragement reasonably positively or not so? Most people are taken and are grateful that, that, that you show an interest in them and, and interested in what they're doing with themselves and their affairs. So, yes, I, I think generally if you give people time, they're responsive, all right. Mm. And that listening thing's pretty important too. What do you find inspiring about the example of Jesus and how he encouraged people, how he just lifted people up? Rochelle? Um, I just love that when Jesus actually saw people as who that, like even if they had, like even the disciples, I mean, they had flaws and stuff. He just saw them how they were mm. and he just loved them. Yeah. So that's... And so you're trying to do yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously because everyone's different. My favourite saying to my children is, you don't, if you rate a fish of how well he climbs a tree, you never kind of... So I think it's really important. <laughs> that's, that's, that's deep wisdom right there, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, Gordon, what inspires you about Jesus' example? Well, when, you know, the, the, the most famous verse in the, paper, in the Bible is for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Mm. To me, that's encouragement in capital letters. Mm. Um, Jesus' examples that we read of, especially in the Gospels, uh, is 
so often we just hear that Jesus listened to his people and met their needs, and um, and he was he gave encouragement and healing and all good things. And it's not really rocket science, is it? You know, not really. No, listening and trying to meet the needs where you can. Yeah. So so. Maybe, Rochelle, I think we've sort of had that from Gordon, but what inspires you, uh, or how has Jesus particularly encouraged you? Um, do you know that he, like, he loves me for who I am? Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think sometimes it's, um, it's your inner, how you are feeling, you can then ex- give it to someone else, isn't it? So yeah. if you know Jesus loves you and me and he died for me, and so that for me I can... Because I'm full inside, I can then, you know, encourage other people. Yeah. Is that true for you, Gordon, as well? Jesus encouraged you in what ways? Yes, I think so. Because every time you open the Bible or come in through that door, we get encouragement because we know we're coming to give time to Jesus and mm. give thanks. Mm. So, yeah, I'm sure we all um, get encouragement from, from the actions and, and the time of fellowship and everything else is all good for for us and and we're learning more about Jesus so it's it's uh, all good so if there's one thing that you want us to know about encouragement if there's one thing you want to encourage us with what is it Gordon I wrote down here about three o'clock this morning while I was listening to the rain um, which was encouraging too in my in my life uh, Unfortunately, he's deceased now, but I had an uncle. He was an uncle because he was my mother's sister's husband, so he wasn't a blood uncle as such. But he was my go-to man when I needed encouragement, when I needed uh, to make a decision. And he was a great listener. And he never, never gave me the answer I wanted (laughs) <laughs> but he would explain things, and I ca- found the answer I needed. So that's my message. You don't have to give answers to people who want encouragement necessarily. Inspire them to come to the answer that they need for themselves. Cool. Rochelle, how would, what do you want to encourage us with? Well, this is a story I read my children, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, it's a story of the two frogs. Um, I'm going to put it that way. Um, one hot summer's day, as a group of frogs made their way through the woods, two of them fell into a deep pit. All the other frogs gathered around the pit and gazed down at their friends. The two frogs began to jump frantically. When the others saw how deep the pit was, they began shouting to their friends, You'll never make it. It's too deep. The two frogs ignored the comments and kept trying to jump out on the pit with all their might. Their futile attempts distressed the other frogs. They kept telling them to stop, that they were as good as dead. Finally, one of the frogs took heed of what the other frogs were saying and gave up. He fell down and died. The other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. Once again, the crowd of frogs yelled at him, Give up! Stop trying! You'll never make it! But the frog jumped even harder and finally made it out. The frogs crowded around him as he lay gasping on the ground. Didn't you hear us, they asked. Huh? What was that? Asked the frog. Didn't you hear us, they shouted even louder. Sorry, said the frog. I can't hear very well, but thanks for encouraging me the whole time. I never would have made it without your help. (laughs) 
because that's the story I read my children about encouraging. And just with um, just one Bible verse, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruits and be the consequences of their words. So true. Yep. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much for just sharing uh, some insights to or with us uh, about the importance of encouragement and how you try to do that in your own lives as imperfect as we all are. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just hope you picked from Gordon and Rochelle there that it is so simple and so easy um, to encourage people with our words and our actions and our listening. And I think strengthening and supporting people when others need it the most, that is, that is all, that, all that we could really kind of do. So I hope you're encouraged. I am very encouraged by that. Um, I'm encouraged to be part of this church where people just simply want to live and love like Jesus and encourage others. And so this week, may you be an encourager. May you strengthen and support others. May you help and heal. May you look for the good in others and lift them up as Rochelle encourages us to. Let me read to you this. Encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we can encourage others because Jesus has encouraged us. And we ask uh, we would follow his example of, of what it means to live this life and, and live out this characteristic. This week, we pray that we would be known as people who are encouraging uh, in a discouraging and difficult world. May we share that life and that love of Jesus to everyone that we meet. May we literally give his courage to people who need it. We pray this in your name. Amen.